everybody. Welcome to the conversation of our generation. My name is Nick Jamel, and I am the creator of the conversation of our generation, the host of the podcast, author of most of the stuff on the blog, but we are getting a little bit more traction with the guest blogs recently. And I'm going to be talking to you today about some cool stuff. Uh, we're going to be talking about, really, I've been binge, binging on uh, Jordan Peterson's podcast. I've listened to like 17 episodes over the weekend. Um, and because I ran out of other podcasts, um, and I just was diving in, really listening to about everything I could get. And I just more and more realized how deep he is and how much he has to offer. And I wanted to just kind of give my thoughts on it today. Uh, but I think it'll be a really good show. I think it'll be really interesting. Hopefully we get into a good discussion on, uh, some points that I think really need to be made and really need to be brought to light in some way. And so... I also realized that I haven't been uh, up to date on my quotes, uh, quotes of the week here, so we're going to get back to that, and I'm going to be better about that, so I apologize. And lastly, before we get started, I just want to let you know you guys can find me on conversationofourgeneration.com, facebook.com slash conversationofourgeneration, twitter at conofourgen, uh, steam it at Jamel Minds conversation of our generation there, and also, we did. Uh, I did just get uh, an Amazon Affiliates thing going, so there is an Amazon Affiliate tab on the blog. If you're looking for some reading, I have books there. I might do other things eventually, but for now, it's just going to be books uh, that I've read, that I've done reviews on, so you can also go to the reviews on the blog, check them out, and see kind of what the book's about, but uh, there's only one that I think is not the cheapest version. But the rest of them are, so go there and, you know, use that link and that helps me out. Or uh, you can also support me as well on the support tab and help me out there. Those kinds of things are going to be what help me to build this, put money back into getting the blog out there and really making this happen. So, um, and lastly, I'm still accepting guest blogs, so if you want to write something for me, if you want to get your idea out there, you want to join the conversation of our generation with me, well then... Shoot me an email at nicholasjamel or nicholasjamel at gmail.com or find me on the contact portion of the blog. Give me your email so that I can get back to you and we can, or just hit me up on social media. I mean, even just uh, contact me any way you can. And let's get into it then. So let's start today with the, uh, the quote of the day because I think it kind of relates to something that's going on in my life and I came across it and it, just oddly enough and I've been reading the Upanishads and... Um, this is from the huh, Brihadaranyaka. Brihadaranyaka. I, I, I don't speak Indian. Um, the, the Upanishad, though, the Brihadaranyaka Upanishad. Wow, I'm having trouble. I, I took Spanish in high school so don't, and college, so don't uh, ding me too much on that. But it says... Um, it's actually the one that the author or the whoever translated this one chose as like the introduction to this. Like it's like kind of the introduction page on this book that I'll be doing a review on soon probably because it's pretty amazing. Um, it says, As a caterpillar, having come to the end of one blade of grass, draws itself together and reaches out for the next, so the self, having come to the end of one life and dispelled all ignorance, gathers in its faculties and reaches out from the old body to a new. And... I think that that's a beautiful, beautiful way of looking at um, kind of making a transition. And now, obviously, this is about 
this one here is about, you know, the almost like the soul leaving the physical body and going back to, you know, whatever it is that that we came from, that place, that that thing that makes you you, that's the the I, the ego kind of that essence of you kind of, you know, leaving the body and going back to, you know, what we like in the west call god in uh, you know, in Hinduism they call it the self. It's the basically the transcendent being or state of being consciousness consciousness sort of thing uh, that brought forth the world and 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 this is something that I think is also I, I kind of talk about it in the um, in some of my other podcasts that you know the physical world is a reflection of whatever that transcendent being is so the the way that we interact with that transcendent being you know because we are in God's image and likeness in my opinion you know I believe that 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 also means that a lot of our actions that we do in the physical world are what are kind of a reflection of the divine world. And so this is kind of how you make a transition in life. And I actually just accepted another job. I'll be leaving uh, my current job as a store manager and actually getting a job in my field, what I studied for, doing some marketing for a company here in Indianapolis. And... Um, and it's, it's really cool because I, I feel like this is how I, you know, how you feel like it. I've been crawling up as a caterpillar to the end of the blade of grass. And now, it you know, I've kind of come to the end of this one and I need to stretch out and go find the next one. And and I think that what you see in this, though, is the way that that's described is something where you really are putting yourself at risk by making that transaction or uh, transition. Right. You're you're reaching out you're at the end of a blade of grass and and you're reaching out hoping that you don't fall off or fall or miss right and and so it's 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 a leap it's a bit of it takes a almost like a leap of faith or like a belief or an understanding that there is a possibility but despite that possibility of failure or of falling you're going to take that you know step forward and you know if that's the way that we transition back into you know whatever it is that we came from i think that it's very fair to say that any transition that we make here on earth that's just what it's going to feel like and you have to know that going into it and accept that and i think we'll be a lot better off you'll be able to make that transition much easier and so with that let's kind of get into uh a little bit of what jordan peterson's been talking about because i think he somewhat talks about, you know, that transition, you know, facing chaos, right? Fa- facing that uh, um, chaos and making order out of chaos. And I, I've really liked it. I think I got a few points here of his that I think are interesting that I wanted to talk about. And, um, and then at the end, I kind of wanted to say, you know... Uh, why I think this is so important, what he's doing, why I think that, you know, so many people are in tune with him because I, I think that it's, there's so many people trying to box him into a certain thing. And I, I think that what he's doing is so much more than that. I think that, you know, it's, it's quite incredible. And I think I've been listening to Vin uh, Armani recently, and he's talked a little bit about how, 
you know, he's afraid that Jordan Peterson with the enforcement agony thing, and I'm not going to discuss that. I haven't actually looked into that enough to talk about it. Um, but how he, you know, he's like, he needs to kind of stay away from the politics of things and stick to what he, what he's doing. That's the most important. Right. And, and I think the one thing with Jordan that I've noticed is he talks about speaking the truth. And so that's where he kind of steps into politics is when people try to force him to lie. And, you know, that's what like the whole thing with the pronouns was about. That's why he kind of blew up was because he's like, no, I'm, I'm not going to lie on your behalf at the will of the state, <laughs> which is a very powerful thing to do. That's, I think that that's where he stepped into politics in the right way. But I think he worries too much about it. And he, you know, and he, uh, I think he needs to, st- like, kind of like Ben says, I think if he sticks to the mythologies, to the chaos and order and cleaning your room and understanding, you know, that and diving deep into that, it's, it's much much more beneficial because that's something that only he can really do. That's something that I think he can only piece together. And so we're going to talk about all of it uh, and let's get started. Uh, So I think the first point that I really wanted to talk about was his thoughts on the 20th century. And this kind of gets to the idea of like talking about politics. I think he does a good job at not talking about uh, really the politics of it as much as the um, the underlying philosophies, the the psychology of the people who were creating this, uh, these a lot of these issues with nihilism and why this stuff comes about psychoanalytically, and I think that that's interesting because he really he doesn't take it from the idea of what, how do we get the body politic to do this? No, he says. It's not about the political maneuvering. It's about how did we get all these individuals to into the state of mind that they could either be complicit in this or, or you know, actually enact all these incredibly horrible things that happened throughout the 20th century. And that, to me, is what's really interesting about how he talks about it is because it's it's not necessarily just uh, just like your political history that you get out of it. It's really looking into these things and saying, oh, like these are the underlying philosophies. This is what was kind of going on in their heads. These are the kind of tales they were telling themselves that allowed for these people to be led in that direction. And so I think that that's that's an incredible idea and I think it's something that is really interesting and I think he talks about how Nietzsche was kind of on the edge of reconciling um, you know the what he calls like the death Nietzsche kind of says we killed God like he was he, he, he understood that and it was his you know God is dead and we killed him and that was something that people kind of talk about as a prideful thing but it's it's really him saying no this is we 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 are we have blood on our hands we have to this is going to be an issue and he ended up dying before he could really flesh out some of his ideas that could maybe rectify the issue of you know what comes after that because when god is dead and there's no higher purpose in the universe then you just fall into nihilism 
And then what Peterson talks about is, is these, when that happened, when there was this widespread, widespread nihilism, it was easy for political uh, demagogues to come in and give those people purpose. And, and that's what the Nazis, the communists, they did is they came back and they gave um, individuals who had fallen into, you know, a state of nihilism, a state of purposelessness, purpose, yeah, purposelessness, and they had nothing, they had no direction, and they gave them a direction, they gave them an, an, an aim that they could do together because we're social animals and we want to work towards, you know, bettering ourselves, but with a, with an end of like being part of a, being part of a group. We want to, we want our individual efforts to benefit the group, to push forward, you know, some sort of higher thing within a group and within, you know, hopefully for most people, some sort of thing that is a transcendent power pushing forward that idea. But because I think that that is the best way to make sure that your aims are good because if you're truly aimed towards a higher more transcendent power then I think it's easier to stay on track and to not be uh, fall and this is my thought here it's easier when you're aiming for God to not succumb to the uh, errors of man as much because when you're following when when your leader is Stalin not Jesus then or when you're even if your leader is President Trump you know he's a flawed man and you know so when your leader is a man then or you know I've been speaking or a woman um, then your leader is imperfect and your leader can lead you astray easily and when you're following God when you're following the divine when you're following that transcendent power that you know is the giver of order to the universe then you are following something much deeper, something that really cannot go astray because it is the eternal. And I think that that's the way that you have to look to orient yourself. And And he kind of talks about how when you lose that orientation towards the eternal, towards the divine, it's very easy for a demagogue to step in and to um, commit atrocities. Because when you have a collective group, if you have... a a very vocal, even my small minority, like you do, in, like they did in the Nazis. I mean, at first was a, but then they gained majority power. They, they got, you know, they were able to gain power. They were able to win over people um, through their social programs. They were, you know, they, and and more and more things seem to be ticking up for the people of Germany because, I mean, and. I mean, in all honesty, for the average German, life was getting better. I mean, you know, it's it's like, obviously, there was horrible, horrible crimes being committed already, like stealing Jews, like, you know, property, closing down their businesses, things like that. But for the average German, coming out of, like, their crazy inflationary, you know, all the mishaps that were going on after the world, First World War, they... Uh, the Nazis were kind of making life better for the average German. They were. I mean, economically speaking, at least, everything else, I think, not so much, obviously. But when the economy is going well, we all know that you're able to kind of win the populace because most people are worried about feeding their family first. And, and when you can do that, then and you're the person who made that happen, then or the party in power that made that happen, then you can really win a lot of 
security and power, honestly. And I think that that's a dangerous way of thinking generally, but that's the way that people think. And, and I think that it's just interesting to hear his analysis, and, and obviously he's dove much deeper into this than I have. He's much more well-educated on this, and he's probably a lot smarter than me. Um, I would say most likely definitely a lot smarter than me. But um, he, uh, the, when he talks about it, it's just, it's just jaw-dropping to hear the, uh, the wisdom that he brings to this idea, that he brings to this discussion on, you know... <laughs> ideology how dangerous it can be because ideology is that uh is is a way of oversimplifying you know the uh chaos around you so basically what jordan peterson talks about on that is and why it kind of gives people a bad direction is it it's one-sided it's or it's it's very narrow-minded it's almost like a tunnel vision when you have an ideology of any sort and that's why i try to you know i think that that's way I try to come at things. I have some beliefs that I guess are partisan beliefs, but quite often I try to come at it from a what is the truest way of looking at this scenario. And um, and I think, you know, it, like I say all the time, it was Confucius, the, the superior man is Catholic, the mean man is partisan. And it seems to me that you know, that partisanship that the average person who takes their side, who falls into just ideological camps, not universal truths, is it's easier to, uh, to then fall for the tricks of a demagogue, to fall for those sort of people who kind of play to your ideology and, and invigorate you. They, they know how to tap into those things that you believe because your belief system is very simplified if you're an ideologue. And and so it's easy to tap into that and to use that ideology to mobilize you towards a, an, an end within the ideology, but even outside of it. Um, like, for instance, I think that this happened to, during the progressive era in America where the Christian temperance union or the women's Christian temperance union was used a lot to forward the ends of progressivism and towards socialism really because they wanted to ban alcohol they wanted people to act morally and upright which is you know you should want people to act morally and upright but that's you know government force I don't think is the way to make people do that um but it's it was uh, they were kind of used as useful idiots for the because they got the prohibition movement going. They helped it gain a lot of traction. Uh, some of them were very militant even, and it seems to me that th- that ideology helped uh, the movement come to fruition. And that to me seems like a bit of a, a of an issue. And I think that Jordan really hits uh hits the nail on the head on that because i think he he really understands um how ideology is affected and how you know because he he, he's able to really do that psychoanalytically and i think you have to listen to him talk about that uh more than me but um so if you I will say anyone who's listening to this and who's interested in what I'm talking about, definitely go over and listen to his podcast and listen to his lectures. 
they are really tremendous. And so, but, um, but as for what I'm talking about here is I think he, I think he really taps into it. I think he really understands how that affects the human psyche, the idea of ideology, the idea of nihilism and all these things and how they kind of combine to give us the 20th century. And he seems to really be fighting that back. And I think uh, one way he's doing that, or he's doing it in, in my opinion, two ways that are very, very crucial. The first one is by going through the, the ancient myths and the Bible and talking about how those, um, how those things are, how those archetypal stories are true in a different sense and how we, how he looks at those. And then also by talking about order and chaos in your own life, as well as order and chaos throughout the universe. And, and, uh, I want to talk about the myths that he goes through. And this is something that, um, I think is really important to kind of understand is that these stories that we have in the Bible, you know, I, I've grown up Catholic and I think that there's some stuff in there that we obviously believe is historic. There's things in there that are obviously, you know, songs and, you know, the Psalms are just songs. The book of wisdom is almost like a book of like poetic, you know, sort of speech. You know, it's, it's a, it's almost like poetry really, I guess is what it is. And so, and then you have things like that are mythologies and then you have things that are histories of some sort, at least, you know, the book of Kings and the two books of Kings and the books of Chronicles seem to me to be a, you know, just a, a, like a history, just going through t- telling you what the Kings did in their reign and everything. Um, and to me, it seems like that isn't really much more than just a history of what happened. I mean, there's probably some mythologizing in some way or building them up in a way, you know, they were, they had an army that was this big or whatever, but so there might be something along those lines, but in the way I see it, you know, it's pretty accurate history. Um, and so, but I think the ones that the books, the, the things in the Bible that seem the most profound are the stories, not the not the histories, not and and I think that the Psalms and the Book of Wisdom are very interesting as well. Um, you know, letters from Paul are awesome. They're very interesting to listen to or to read. But the Genesis story, um, you know, the story of the Exodus, the and I think that that's somewhat historical as well. I think I don't know. I I, I really don't know how to look at Exodus, but you know all of Genesis and, um, you know, the idea, uh, the, the story of Job is kind of a legend or a mythology as well, or it could be a collection of people that embody this person, right, a, a couple different tragedies and how people overcame these tragedies and everything. Um, and that to me is, you know, uh, some of, where some of the most amazing truths actually come out of the Bible, like the the understanding in the first book of Genesis of what man is like, how, how man came into being, I think even Dr. Peterson acknowledges how tremendous that story really is and how much wisdom is in that story, how much real understanding of what humanity is that is brought out of that story is incredible. And when he goes through these myths, when he starts talking about the Bible in that way, 
And when he starts talking about the archetype, when he starts analyzing what these stories mean, um, I can't think of one story that he's put forth yet that he's analyzed that doesn't, you know, sound perfect to me, the, the analysis of it. And so I think, I think in, um, in Genesis he has, you know, probably more that he could do because there's so many layers to that story. But um, when he starts talking about like the myths of ancient Egypt, of ancient Mesopotamia, um, and how he, they kind of tie together, and at the same time, I'm reading the Upanishads, which are really ancient myths as well from the in, uh, the Indian area or Indian region, and it's it's really incredible to hear that. And then uh, you know, I've gone through, like I said in the past, of the Greeks done their uh, done read the book on the pre-Socratics, and a lot of them have you know the myths like the primordial swamp. They have different myths that the were their first principles upon which they built their arguments and they were kind of almost the pre-socratics weren't as much the philosopher as they were the really the people who were telling the stories they were the people who were you know they there were philosophers and scientists and everything as well but that you didn't have like an aristotle like uh philosopher instead it was more people who had were building the mythologies but at the same time they were doing science and so they kind of tried to marry them and it wasn't until you have you know I would say like the big three or Socrates Plato and Aristotle coming along that they can kind of look back throughout all the knowledge that the Greeks brought and distill it and reflect on it and analyze it and this is what actually Jordan Peterson talks about in these myths is is that humans actually embody these things first and in, in, in order to learn about something and to analyze it you have to first embody it so when you're a kid for instance and you're learning how to walk you you can't explain I have to, most kids learn how to walk before they can really talk so obviously you can't really explain what you're doing when you're walking you can't you definitely can't explain how to walk before you learn to walk but once you've done it then you can kind of tell people how you do it you can start to articulate it. The more and more you do something, you can articulate better how to do that thing. And this is, you know, Peterson's principle. And I think he got it from, uh, I can't think of the psychologist right now. He did all the, uh, the stages of development. Piaget, that's his name. And he says basically that people learn by embodying uh, something. And then we can then reflect on it and analyze it and put it to words and dissect it, figure it out and and improve upon it that way. But at first you have to just do. And I think that that is a lot of what, you know, these these stories were for the Greeks as they were doing. They were, you know, they the philosophers were often looking back and analyzing the 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 plays, you know, right, the dramas, they were looking at that and analyzing the stories. They were looking at Homer and analyzing what he had to say and analyzing the truth within that and parceling out, oh, here is something that is true, right, and and in this story, this is what he, this story teaches us. And I think that that's something that's profound, that's a profound discovery to understand that, but they, they did something that we don't do now where they, they the Greeks really applied their rationality to 
these mythologies to dissect and understand what it is that we should learn from it. Whereas now I feel like, and I think this is something Jordan Peterson has talked about as well, is we've gone away from the mythology completely. We don't even analyze the mythology. We just dismiss it as a funny little story and we try to just discover the truths of the universe purely uh, on just science, just empirical evidence. And I, and, and I don't think that there's any... Uh, you know, issue with that, obviously. I think that empirical evidence is, you know, an understanding of the order that is given to the universe by, you know, the transcendent being that God, right? God that created the universe gave it order so we can discover the order of the universe, right? You know, there's mathematical equations that help us to do things that we can discover. And yeah, I'm all for it, for sure. Let's do that. But I think you have to also understand that there is a realm outside of just empirical evidence and that realm is, is something of the myth something of the transcendent truth there is a there's a spark of the divine something whatever that thing is in us that you know that our consciousness that that there's something ethereal about our being that you can't quite put your finger on so by discussing and by using stories and myths and parceling out truths within these things, these these stories, you can understand a different kind of truth than you get out of science or even out of, you know, rational debate on politics. I think this is, this is why uh, when Vin said he kind of needs to stay away from politics is because these stories are, these truths are not political truths. These truths are universal. These are just inherent to man. So they they rise above partisanship. So when you get into politics, you have to, you almost have to be a partisan of sorts. Um, and that's why I think this, you always see sages and, and the, the wisest of men don't go into politics for a lot of reasons, because <laughs> normally if you're that wise, you're a little bit more empathetic and not a sociopath to be in politics. But, you know, <laughs> but, uh, but I think that they realize that there is a truth you know, the sage, that person, understand that there's a truth above the body politics, above politics that is more worthwhile, right? Um, and I think this is something that Peterson has tapped into, and I wish, just like Ben, I wish he'd kind of stay there, because that's something that he's amazing at, and that is incredibly profound. And and I think he's, I think he's realized that, hopefully, in his will help out with that because, or will will stay there. I hope so. Um, because I think he's helping a lot of people in doing that and in practicing his, you know, ideas of his psychotherapy, but, or psychoanalytic therapy. But it, to me, is something that's profound. To find those truths, those transcendent truths that, really are innate and he he talks about how they're almost ingrained in our biology that these you know the the reason why we use some of the symbols that we do is because that is just a natural symbol so the snake for instance is not only you know a predator of you know early man and of the chimps that man came out of and everything like that and even today i mean we still could you know snakes still bite people and kill people, you know, and, or at least hurt people, um, and so it's actually evolutionary, 
evolutionarily we 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 evolved to see uh, so well because we had to look out for snakes in the jungle and we evolved to see color so well because um, we we ate fruit and so it is actually true we embodied the story of Genesis because it was a snake and you know fruit that actually gave us our sight they gave us our our the way that we see as because of those two things and and so when Genesis talks about, you know, the Adam and Eve's eyes were opened after eating the fruit <laughs> that they ate because of the serpent, it's it's even like it, we use that metaphor because it's almost ingrained in us to use that metaphor because those are things that gave us the physical sight. So when you tell the story, you know, they're the things that gave us this metaphorical sight, right? The, it was these two things that gave us the sight that probably developed our brain more to be able to have consciousness, to be self-aware, you know, it was half our, our, so much of our brain is actually dedicated to sight that as sight evolved and got better, it probably is, I think, from what I can understand, based on his lectures, is part of why our brains are so big and then so much of why we are able to uh, have consciousness, um, you know, so that to me is an incredible thing. And so it, it really is those two things that gave us sight, that gave us that transcendent sight. And so there's a lot more to these stories, I think, than what meets the eye initially, than just a good story. And when we reduce them down to just a tale that we tell for some reason, we lose the profundity of the, the that essence of truth that just transcendent idea that is wrapped up in this story that's so beautiful so amazing and it just seems silly to me to just glaze over that and I think that that's what Jordan Peterson is doing that's possibly most important is bringing back the understanding of what a story can tell the truth that can be found in the story the you know we knew this because we have Aesop's fables that you were read to that people read to you as a kid you know, my grandma had a book of virtues that whenever I would act up, like if I was being impatient, she'd go, okay, well, let's go read the book on patience. And we'd go down there and get the book out of the basement, read it. And, you know, and if I was, you know, whatever, so if I was being, ang if I was angry for, for something, she'd be like, do we need to read the book? And I'd be like, no, because I'd already read it a bunch. <laughs> and so... You know, those stories, though, they, they teach you something. And, like, not only did it teach me the history, because it uses, like, historical figures, so I know, you know, the life of Beethoven, or I knew that uh, Louis Pasteur was the one who discovered, you know, uh, basically how, you know, to pasteurize milk and all that. And and so I learned those hist histories from this, but I also learned the virtue that that person embodied, Right the story like I could replicate his their behavior I couldn't really tell you what curiosity was or what patience was I couldn't describe it in words but it, I could see how they acted it out embody it and then as I got older I could say oh this is what that means right I could analyze it I could look back on it because I my brain developed more I got smarter I began to be able to articulate myself better and I was able to put words to these things that I was doing and I think that that is something that 
I can obviously see in my lifetime. And so when Jordan Peterson talks about these stories, I think more and more he's tapping into something that's truly, truly amazing. And I think that universal truth that he he's finding is just incredible. And I think that that is something that's far more ethereal far it's than some of his other work like his work that he does with you know creating order out of chaos in your own life or you know in your relationships with people in your job and your just cleaning your room right that kind of thing i think is very very practical and i think it's a reflection of this trying to make order out of the cosmetic chaos this big you know this this chaos that's really incomprehensible is what it is and it's mysterious and it's you know a lot of stuff is still inexplicable even if you can get to some of the truths that are in these stories you can't really get to the underlying thing that that transcendent being you can't really comprehend that and uh, I think the practical things that come out of his teaching the the ideas of creating order out of chaos in your life is really something that's very interesting and it's <clears throat> something that I'm seeing in my own life of just organizing my thoughts in the morning. Every morning, I, I, I'm taking the Andrew Clavin uh, challenge on God and just talking to God every morning. You know, when I first get in my car, you know, I'm, I'm in my car at some point in the day. The first time I get in my car by myself, I just talk to God and I say, you know, thank you for today. Thank you for, you know, how yesterday went. These are the things that went well. Um, these are things that I would like to ask, you know, that you help me with, give, give me wisdom on these things. Um, and then the more and more I've done that, the more and more I've acted like God is there. I've, you know, I've been talking out loud to God is, I, I've kind of realized in myself too, the priorities that I'm putting forward, my finding my new job, you know, working with them on that. That's been something that I've been kind of asking God for, but you know, it's also something that keeps it at the top of mind, you know, make sure that I'm emailing them back and thinking about how to word this or how to, you know, you know, how, how to go about my interview, all those things, all the process of getting hired on at this new job. That's been something that I've been working on organizing my thoughts on, you know, this podcast and this, this blog, I've been, you know, praying and, you know, trying to organize my thoughts. And I think I've gotten good feedback from everyone who's, uh, who's heard it, you know, for the most part, I've gotten good feedback. Um, there's a few people out there who just, you know, criticize, but it's generally not good constructive criticism. It's just troll, trollery and all that. So, but I think that organizing my thoughts and asking God for help and for wisdom and guidance on these things is what allows me to really bring it to you in the way that I do. And, and, and it's something that I've, you know, in my move, uh, you know, I told you guys, I got my new house and everything. I'm now settled in. I'm doing this podcast out of my office. It's what I did last week, and this is the second week of doing the podcast out of the office. It's super exciting. Um, but I think that that's something, too, that is, you know, as I as the house came together, as we've kind of gotten order, I still need to get a, you know, a dresser, but we're waiting on that to come in uh, from a family member, you know, so we're waiting on that for a little bit because I'm trying to save money on that. But once you kind of have the clothes out of baskets and into the dresser and everything and everything's in order, you know, my office is mostly put together. I'm looking around thinking that I need to clean it a little bit, but, you know, 
it is what it is. Uh, once that kind of gets, you know, a system set up and a system in place, and, you know, my garden is another one, you know, but once I get this system in place, I can create, you know, order in my home and in my life, and it, I think it helps, you know. Uh, the garden, you know, it, I think that Jordan talks about the fact that that's, and Eden is, or paradise is a garden because it's the perfect combination. It's the perfect taming of nature, you know, which is chaos into order. And, um, you know, seeing that in my own life and creating my, building my garden and, you know, actually eating food out of my garden um, has really been something that I think is, is calming. It brings order to your life. You know, all these things, all these steps that I'm taking in my life to kind of distill what I want. I've been thinking about it for the last year and going through these ideas as I've gone through podcasts and listened to podcasts for the last, you know, year plus. Uh, you know, I've kind of been trying to decide the person who I want to be more and more. And, you know, I've been taking steps and now it's kind of like I'm that caterpillar going from one blade of grass to another. I've kind of, I kind of contracted in and just spread and took the step. And it's, something totally new like I'm at I feel right now like standing in a new spot in my life and but I feel like I have it's actually a great step forward it's been something where you know I'm kind of walking into the unknown with my job and with this house and everything you know but at the same time I have everything set up orderly I think I have a good understanding of both of those things in a way that it's not chaotic it's I'm taking an orderly approach and I'm collecting my thoughts as I go along and this is something that, you know, in practical life, it's it's so helpful. It's so beautiful. It's so easy, really. You know, and obviously there's things that come along that shake you up on that. But as long as I think you're orderly in most things, you're going to be able to take on the chaos. Because if it's, it's like, for instance, just having a savings account that's got a couple thousand dollars in it is going to help you take on the chaos of life of, oh, my alternator went out. How am I going to afford that? Well, you have $2,000 in the bank. You can put $500 towards getting a new alternator, you know, if you, or, or, you know, you get in a car wreck and you have money for your deductible, you know, stored in the bank and then you build that back up, but, or you lose your job. You have a couple months worth of salary in the bank so that you can find your next job. Those are the things that I think, you know, the, that savings on the side, the the that comes from order um, in your life. That comes from having systems in place and making sure that you're controlling yourself and living an orderly life. I think, and and then when the chaos comes, you can handle it even better uh, than if you hadn't been living an orderly life. Other than that, and so I think that that's a tremendously important thing as well. Uh, the last thing that I really wanted to talk about with Jordan, about Jordan Peterson stuff is, I think what's beautiful, what's truly, truly beautiful about what he's doing is he's creating a synergy between philosophy, empiricism, and religion. And, and what I mean by that is, he's taking, you know, a philosophical approach, right? He's, he's looking at these things and he's dissecting the ideas and what they mean, all of that, but he's doing it from off a very scientific perspective as well. He's he's a psychologist. He's you know applying his psychoanalytic brain, this ability to you know look at research and look at 
what's happening in the human psyche as well as what's happening in uh you know in you know your in your consciousness in your mind and he's able to kind of separate those two things and then finally with religion he's able to look at it and rationalize a lot of the beliefs through philosophy but he doesn't uh he doesn't lose the beauty and the um in 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 what religion offers he he doesn't reduce it down into you know this watered down version of like oh here's just a you know little code of ethics that you get out of this crazy story of you know thousands a couple thousand years right instead he says no this couple thousand years of collective human consciousness in the bible and in some of these other stories reveals something that you can't just get out of you know a little bit of a uh uh like a little bit of rationality you know there's something deeper he doesn't deny religious experience which i think is something that was very bold for a scientist to do to say especially one who you know could easily be a psychologist saying oh it's just a bunch of phenomena and synapses he's like no those don't really explain religious experience and i think that that's kind of noble to say like i'm just not going to touch that because he's like i can't explain it i don't he doesn't think he's like i don't think science can explain it it's you know so i'm going to leave that be because that's a phenomena that i can't explain but i can take these stories and extract the truth out of them and that's where i have my value and that's pretty amazing in two ways number one it's very you know humble for someone who's so smart so brilliant to say you know what i can't explain that you know so many people try to just explain that away um and you know religious experience that is and instead he's like i can explain this i can explain what this means and i can you know and maybe dive further into it and get another layer of what it means this story means but i can't say your individual religious experience i can't tell you what that was you have to decide that you know i can analyze your dream maybe and kind of help you work through the problem that seems to be there right but um i can't i can't explain away you know these levels of consciousness because they're they're above there there's something transcendent there and he's like and i can just, i just can't touch that he's like but i'm going to deal in the realm with like which which i can and that's something that is really cool to me to admit that and to deal in this realm in that way because i think it's so easy for people to just jump to the fact that you can handle it or you can figure it out and i'm smart enough to do all these things and to explain away everything and instead he just kind of says here's what i can't explain here's what i can't and that's very honest i think and i think he's very honest in his analysis but I think that that synergy between the three is something that we need. You need a balance between, you know, empirical data and, you know, understanding the, the the order of the universe, right? Empirically, right? Here's facts and numbers that show this is how the universe works in this little microcosm, right? Okay. And then you need, I think, that religious belief that says, what is the nature of that trans transcendent being? What is What is that? How can we glimpse that? How can we describe that or portray that in music and 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 art and and in story and then the philosopher saying okay i'm looking at the facts i'm looking at 
you know, this transcendent thing and the stories about it and the art about it and how can I look at these and analyze them and explain them in a way that uh, unlocks the profound nature of the truth that they tell. And I think that's what the philosopher's job And if you can have someone like Jordan Peterson who can really act as scientists, as almost a sage of the religion itself, and then also as the philosopher analyzing it, you know, it's something that he can kind of work between those three realms and kind of pull them together and weave them into one. And, and that's something that I think, uh, you know, Christianity has that is actually expressed a little bit better. It's, it, I think we have it in Christianity, but I think the Eastern religions express it better in the the idea of like unity, the oneness that God is, you know, like we talk about when we die, we go back, you know, you will be with God, right? You have unity with God. You know, that's what heaven is. And, and I think that we look at that as like that end goal, but there's also a, a reality that, you know, or like in, in the beginning of John, it says, uh, the word in the beginning, there was the word and the word was with God and the word was God, right? There's an idea of, there's a unity, there's a, there's a oneness to this thing. And then there's a, a, uh, and then there's things that come forth from it into time and space that we can describe and we can actually put into words. And those two things are not separate. That is just, this is a physical manifestation of that oneness, that unity. And I think that's something that the, in reading the Upanishads, I found that the Eastern religions really talk about that a lot more. Um, and it's very interesting, but I think that we have that idea in Christianity. It's not something that is only Eastern. I think it is something in Western religions as well that, you know, I don't know as much in the Old Testament. I'd have to kind of think about it a little bit more, look into it a little, more, a little bit more. But I think that that's definitely something that you see in Christianity, that the, the Trinity has a unity with it, right? There's the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. You know, it has an, an understanding of the oneness of the the unity of the immaterial and material worlds and um and i think that that's something that i think that judaism actually kind of separates those a little bit more really you know it's it, it's kind of like you know we are we have a covenant with god we are god's people but we are people god is god and we are made in his image and likeness but we are not you know they don't really have that idea of the afterlife in the beginning i think that that's something that kind of developed throughout Time is how I understand is that the Jude Jew, Jewish understanding of the afterlife comes around um, throughout time, closer towards like the Christian era and stuff. It kind of pops up more um, than originally. Uh, it wasn't necessarily there in the beginning of it, and um, uh, I think that it kind of has that a separateness, a separation between God and man. Whereas uh, some of the other religions have a better understanding of the oneness that we do come from God and we go back to God. And the reason why I'm kind of diving into that is I think that the the philosophy, the empirical data, and the religiosity kind of are three ways of understanding that unity. They're three different paths, but if you lose one, then the other two are incomplete. And I think that you can't, you can't have simply just, if, if you just have empirical data and a philosophy, well, you can 
have Nazism. It, it was built on, you know, communism. Those those things were built on some set of empirical data uh, and, you know, like facts and science and reason and rationality and a philosophy that um, accompanied them. But it didn't have an understanding of the transcendent, right? If you have tra the transcendent and a philosophy, then you kind of have a fundamentalist idea. You, you, you know, you have flat earth, you have 6,000 year old earth and those kinds of things. And those don't really make sense either. You need, and then religion, just religion and empiricism, I, I think they're not in conflict, but you, uh, you almost get like a kind of a quasi science, kind of like what the ancient Greeks, I think Jordan Peterson talked about this as well with the ancient Mesopotamians, but they, I talk about it with the ancient Greeks, their cosmog cosmogony, they, they believe that, you know, they had that idea that the stars were holes in this dome and there was fire and that's why there was the sun. The sun was a bigger hole that kind of traveled like through and all this, you know, they had these ideas of how the universe worked, you know, by looking at it empirically and reasoning through it because they, but they didn't really, it wasn't necessarily philosophical because it was a scientific study of it, right? And it was religious. Oh, I, the perfect, uh, one would be, uh, Pythagoras, the Pythagoreans, you know, he talks about, you know, how you can create a science of numbers and you can kind of do that. And he had a religion literally built around the science of numbers. And, um, you know, they, they actually believed, I think that pretty much everything was made up of numbers. That was the building blocks of, you know, that was the atomic particle, that, that was the atom was a numbers. And, you know, everything can kind of be, ex a lot of things can almost be expressed in numbers in different ways, but um, not everything is numbers. And so that's kind of what it is, is you have a science that you build a religion out of. That's a good example. Uh, so um, these things kind of have to wrap into one is what I believe. And I think that he's doing that. And I think that's what Jordan Peterson is important for, is the distillation of those three things and the revival of the idea that you need all three. And I think he's the biggest proponent of that. I think there's others out there, but I think he is the biggest proponent of all three of those ideas um, coming forth, or being all three of those pathways to truth coming together, I should say, as one, you know, united in unity. And that is an amazing thing. So with that, I think I'm going to close the show there. I just want to thank you guys for listening to another episode here. Um, I I would like feedback if you have ideas or if you have you know topics that you want me to touch on or anything like that. Find me on Facebook.com/slash/conversationofourgeneration, Twitter at Clown of Our Gen, and let me know what you think. Um, give me ideas and things to go off of. You can read my blog conversationofourgeneration.com or submit guest blogs there. Go to the contact portion of the blog and. Uh, let me know or email me at nicholasjamel at gmail.com and I will be glad to look at that. Um, and lastly, you can find uh, any of the books that I've reviewed on my blog. You can just type in book review. You'll find a bunch there or I'm going to probably make a page of add those book reviews into the, um, into the Amazon Affiliates page. But for now, you can go to the Amazon Affiliates page, click on those links to read those books. They're fantastic books. Um, and... Uh, anytime that you do that, anytime that you shop through those links, that helps me out. So, and I pretty much have the cheapest versions. So you can also rest assured that that's good. And I mean, a lot of them too are ones that have like an introduction, you know, like, uh, especially some of the like classical things like, 
you know, the prince and um, the, uh, I think, ethics also by Aristotle. I think I did one on that, a review on that. Those have, like, introductions kind of giving you a setting and what they're talking about, where they come from, you know, what their, what their ideas, where, what, why they kind of are writing this book, what was their purpose in writing it. And um, so that's kind of interesting, too. It gives you a good frame of reference. He, they do the same thing with uh, Walden and Civil Disobedience. The intro's pretty pretty good for helping those out the for helping you out just with understanding what the writing is really for getting it into their mind I think that that helps um, and so I guess that's it I just want to thank you guys again for listening um, I want to ask you to share the show if you're listening to this this is one thing that I really want to grow this show and I also want to you know have us really expanding and growing and getting this out there so that we can get more ideas coming in that's the hope so With that, thank you again for listening. Have a great week. I'll see you next week, and let's get the conversation of our generation started. Let's get the dialogue going. Have a good one.